All right, you take the lead on this one, Dave. We're we're finally back to uh, recording more of your tripe, whatever you've brought to the table this week. <laughs> yes, we're finally back to real movies. None of this opening weekend wasted nonsense. Yeah, not in the Heights, a fake movie <laughs> that doesn't exist to the American public. All of my emotions feel the same, feel the same. If you don't like where this is going, look away, look away. You're not in my way, you're in my path, look at that. All of my emotions feel the same, what a laugh. To the American public, you would be correct. Um, so we are gonna we're gonna talk about for Father's Day. Who knows when this will come out? But we are recording on Father's Day. We're gonna talk about my dad's favorite movie, a movie that. So my dad was a teacher in high school for many many years, and he taught. He had to teach a family values course, and this is the movie that he showed his students for family values. Uh, so this is how much he loves this movie. So we're gonna watch. AFI's number two rated movie of all time, The Godfather. All right. So you you so. finished the last episode saying it was not going to be high enough. So yep. you have one movie to pick on. Citizen Kane, that piece of shit. That's okay. That's so terrible you're, you're, movie. You're bumping Godfather above Citizen. That's right. Kane. That's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I do I think it's a better movie. Yeah. Good. Good. I'm glad we can at least start this episode on the same page. I'm sure that will will go off the rails very quickly about this classic crime drama from 1972. I am, is- I am right now just scrolling through my friends on Letterboxd to see who has this below five stars. The lowest I've seen is four stars so far. So yeah. I'm seeing who I can unfriend as we have this conversation. The thing I find interesting about this movie is it's seen, of course, as like this titan of cinema on all the best lists. But I think sometimes when you see those movies, they tend not to have done very well at the box office or like just done kind of middling. This was not only the highest grossing movie of the year in 1972, but for a time was the highest grossing movie ever made. Like, and that is shocking to me. It's a good time Uh, to live in. Yeah. Let's go go back to the seventies, I guess, when you know either you know some James Cameron movie with blue aliens or you know some movie with people in spandex was not the highest grossing film ever made. Nineteen nineteen seventies apparently were a much better better time. I mean, it's it's also very easy, as it's been said before, for uh, two white guys to time travel. It's <laughs> yes, yes, we would be very comfortable. I mean, I might have to hide things about my sexuality, but like you know, I'd be okay. It's, I'd be just fine, Dave. I'd you'd be, be good. good. You yeah. were, you were, yeah. You'd be a tall, straight white guy in the 1970s. You'd do hmm. very well. Let's go further back. Let's go to the 50s. Yeah, let's go to the 40s. <laughs> um, I don't want to go to the Depression though, so I don't know what the you know, the twenties and maybe I, I throw myself throw myself off a building during the start of the Great Depression. <laughs> this got so dark so quickly. <laughs> I love finally I, I put in a movie without suicide. I, and you bring I, it up. <laughs> well, okay. Um what do we say? What about uh James Kahn's spoiler alert passing? Do you think he has mm-hmm. suicidal tendencies as far as no, his, uh, no, his, no, 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 his quickness no. to rage and to drive off without bodyguards, without the goon well, squad? I think there's a difference between being quick to rage and wanting to die. Like he is, he's a hothead. That's essentially the, you know, the, the most important thing about his character in this movie is that he flies off the handle very quickly and it ends up costing him his life. And maybe, 
maybe one of the most memorable death scenes in film history like that is that's one that sticks with you because it's interesting because the movie you haven't seen it, me in the 20s yet my time yeah, not yet because it's I, coming I have the rage issues and the the desire to die apparently in the 20s <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the things that i kind of i kind of really love about this movie is that it could be a film that like you know of course it's talking about you know crime and the mafia but most of the movie is relatively subtle um, but that scene is like straight out of a mm. Schwarzenegger action movie. Like he takes more bullets than anyone I've ever seen in that sequence. And they do not shy away from the blood and the gore. But I think probably the most impactful moment of that scene is afterwards when you just see like the, 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 the car like riddled with bullet holes. Like that is the lasting image that I have from that. But it's a, it's a scene that really stands out in the movie because everything else is relatively slow for a movie like this. Like this is not, the untouchables right which is much more of an action movie than the godfather Mm. is like this this really does take its time and i think the most the conversation i hear most about the godfather is strangely enough like is this better than godfather 2 that's really the the one that kind of comes up constantly and there seems to be a divide between people of like what's the better movie do you have a do you have a preference between the two one i like where we begin and end with uh michael uh, the character, mm-hmm. which my, uh, you know, I'll bring a little bit of family ties into this. Uh, that's where my, uh, granny insisted, uh, my name comes from is this, this character. Oh, um, okay. Now I, I like an, you more now. <laughs> I also have an uncle named Michael, uh, but he always went Fuck by him. Mick. Well, he always went <laughs> yeah. by Mick that, you know, they shortened it. That was his nickname. And my mother swears she didn't even know that his name was Michael. So <laughs> he gets like credit through, uh, happenstance. Uh, but apparently, uh, from, from this movie, this, this character. So, uh, there you go. There's, you know, so I'm going to go with the one that shows him as, you know, good, uh, brought back into the family fold and his descent, but Godfather two is like truly about his descent. Whereas this, you can justify a lot of his actions to protect his father, uh, protect his family. Um, I could see why someone may like the second one more because I think it's certainly darker. This is a little bit more of a romanticized look at this family because you do have uh, Marlon Brando still in the picture and his his care he has for each of his sons, even though they they I would say they all have failings. Maybe at this point he he doesn't perceive Michael to have any failings. He is definitely the the favored child. Uh, but as the trilogy goes on, we see some. Some flaws, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. maybe a few. <laughs> you go. Maybe a few. Uh, so yeah, this is the time I guess I'm going with the. I think the first one is just more pure. Um, I, mm-hmm. like there's a review I read, um, where uh, someone said this is one of the rare films where uh, they wish it could just go on and on. I don't know if that was uh, published before The Godfather Three, which I think I've only seen once. Uh, when the DVD box set came out, um, because I had seen Godfather One and Two on VHS. And mm-hmm. never three, even though three was out and available when I was aged to be watching these. So you was, listen to what everybody said is like, watch one and two and then just pretend three doesn't exist. I was listening to exist. my, 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 my grandmother again. Cause she loved, she had, uh, next to her TV, she had Godfather one, the huge VHS, like the double tape. Mm-hmm. One and two were like bookending her TV. And so she kept nice. very few movies. Okay. So, uh, she did not have part three. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I guess in a way through, uh, proximity and availability, I did listen to her. But when the DVD box set came out, I was pretty excited. I remember going through like one weekend, all of them. 
And uh, yeah, I've not seen Godfather 3 in high def. I'm getting a little bit curious about it, though, again, Dave. Watching this again made me want to go back to this world. And uh, my wife had never seen them. So we're doing like a first time watch with her for the I don't. So before I let you go on, do I get for Godfather 3 or do I just end it with two? So I'm going to hold back on this answer until I watch one more thing, and then I'll give you an answer. Because they okay. recently, they just recently released like a new version of Godfather 3. Didn't you? Uh, I think you gave me a copy of this. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I think copy? I gave you the yes. digital yeah. copy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I still haven't watched it, but I've heard really good things about it, that it okay. fixes a lot of things that were wrong with it. Because so I think Godfather 3 is legitimately a bad movie, not just in comparison to the two. How about when we do, because we've not done part two yet. How about, I think both of us, I'll just do that version and we'll just see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah sounds good. That'll, that'll work. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I, I also prefer the first one, um, for a couple of reasons. One, like my family history with it. It's my father's favorite movie. I watched it with him when I was like eight or nine years old. Like this is a very strong memory to me. Probably too young to be watching The Godfather, but you know, it's his favorite movie. What are you going to do? So I have that. And then, I was lucky enough to go to this like theater event where there was like mm, a. I remember this. Yeah, there was a showing of Godfather, and they had them, you know, playing the score along with it with this orchestra, and it is so impactful and incredible. Um, but I think you're right, uh, especially about the character of Michael. Um, he becomes like I could definitely understand people loving Godfather too. It's a great movie in its own right, but also he becomes much more of the badass. Like he's a total anti-hero. In that one, whereas in this one, it is a journey for him. And you can see how much it crushes his father when he realizes because of his his almost death that Michael is now involved in the family business. And he, this was his great white hope. This was the, the one he was like putting put all his eggs in this basket. Like, OK, Sonny's going to run the family. He's he's a tough guy. He can he can do this part. That's fine. Fredo, uh, we'll ship him off somewhere where he doesn't cause too much trouble. Um, but Michael was supposed to be a politician. He was supposed to be a senator. He was supposed to be a giant success outside of this realm, outside of this world. And it's interesting because the movie plays it in two very distinct ways. One is that when Michael does this act, when he goes to this restaurant and you know kills the men who are responsible for this, it is an empowering moment and a terrifying moment. For us as we watch Michael go through this. So we understand why he does what he does. And we also understand his father's reaction to it. And it's just kind of impeccably filmed and impeccably told here in this film. And it's one of those that stands out. Very few movies are this, but it's, you know, it's about a hundred times better than the book is. The book is a very good book, but like it doesn't really hold a candle to the film. The film balances all of these storylines so well because it is a big unwieldy movie. There's a lot going on. With the politics of the different families and with the individual family and then you've got the relationship between, you know, Michael and his like maybe bride and then that all comes to fruition by the end of the movie. And that's when you realize the end of the movie is, I think, where you truly realize like, oh, Michael is gone. Like the Michael we know is gone where he says, OK, I'll let you I'll let you ask this question and and then I'll tell you and then you got to leave. And then he just lies to her face. Don't ask me about my business, Kate. Is it true? Don't ask me about my business. No. All right. This one time. This one time I let you ask me about my affairs. Is it true? 
you know, and you're like, oh, wow, he's gone. Like, he is a totally different man than he was at the beginning of this movie. And there's a party that doesn't really know how to feel about that. Because all throughout the film, you understand the choices he makes. He makes the quote-unquote right choices as he goes through, and yet ends up in this really, really dark place that you don't necessarily – it doesn't necessarily make you feel good. I guess. I guess, you know, that's uh, – I had never really considered Michael Corleone as like a uh, Scarface or uh, Walter White-like character, but that's – you kind of made me think that way with Godfather too, as far as embracing the, the badass nature of the mm. character – because uh, I, I don't think I ever read – I don't read the ending where he lies to the woman he loves as – this is going to make me sound like shit. Uh, that duplicitous uh, in the sense of at least mm. the version of the character we've seen in this first film. Um, I I see him embracing who his father was as far as there were there are two worlds and there's a way to mm-hmm. kind of protect your family and – uh, just in your explanation of the sons that he like brings in or pushes away, um, it seems like he's made an assessment of their ability to to navigate that world. And you know, I'm not as big a fan of our, I guess, mutual like co-host uh, Derek Stewart of uh, the Grand Gesture and uh, your list, my command of Diane Keaton, um, but. I think that this character and maybe the Diane Keaton persona, just that we know her for, uh, is tends to lean uh, more uh, fragile or sometimes comically manic in a way. And this is not a world where <laughs> comically manic would be accepted. I don't know if we uh, uh, the the sequence where uh, poor Coppola's uh, sister um, is having her. Uh, domestic argument that goes into all manner of destruction. Uh, and I don't know if we're meant to read any of that as uh, like, well, this is why you like, you kind of, <laughs> you, you, you keep secrets because that's ultimately what uh, like leads to like Sonny's uh, death is because he, he is taking on the role of mm-hmm. protector, but he's doing it in a way that's extremely showy. Like, I'm going to make myself a physical presence of right. this is the power I have over people, which is totally different from Michael, who will, like, live, like, with all of those sort of violent thoughts in his own head. And it, I, mean, I do think it consumes him as the trilogy goes on. Um, you know, as we've talked about this, uh, fuck it. Just just make me the adopted Tom Hagen uh, <laughs> son. He's the one that is, I think, of all of them, is the most likable and the most... Like I could have a meal with this person and not feel like I've come close to, you know, to death and destruction in the wake, even though he's a part of it. But yeah, his, the way he handles himself is probably the most sure. respectful if there can be such a thing in this world of, uh, of, uh, God, was it, what's the worst, what is the worst death here? What do you think? I think it's the bar sequence. Um, yeah, get a knife through the hand and you get, uh, strangled. Um, Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure there's others. Um, you know, a, a car bomb uh, for Michael's first wife doesn't look that bad when you see some of the other things that happen. You know, I, I was saying that uh, I was defending Michael as far as protecting his his wife by telling a little white lie of what his business is. But it's like, I don't, does it ever come out as far as like his uh, his brief marriage uh, when he's in hiding? Nope, nope, nope. Never. Just forgets to mention that part. 
just you know i mean it's definitely well, not over. married anymore because she died <laughs> yes it is it is definitely over so this is also the thing that surprised me as i watched this because it's been a while since i watched this and the second one um i just forgot how much of what i love and the memorable moments from this duology are from the first movie like it just feels like uh, apart from maybe like a spoiler alert for the godfather 2 apart from fredo's death um like all the all the moments that have really been you know brought to the forefront of the cultural consciousness about the godfather are in this you know like it just so much of it is connected to the first one um and that definitely surprised me on this rewatch and uh i do think actually that robert duvall is my favorite character in this movie oh, i think uh, i think shut this he, down I, we're, we're agreeing far too much so far on this yeah yeah it's I mean, there is a there is a sequence. It's maybe you know, in a movie full of violence and terrible things, I think maybe the most hurtful moment in this movie is when Michael essentially fires him and just tells him, "You're not cut out for this." Basically, because you're not you're not enough of an asshole. You're not violent enough. You're not a wartime consigliere. So, like, you're great when things are going well, but when we gotta like lay down the law, you're not what I need. And, and it's interesting because I feel like he probably is what you need. In this time, like someone to someone to check you, because Michael at this point in the movie is going completely unchecked. And then that will continue in the second movie where things get really dark and, and really weird. Um, so it's like, yeah. And Robert Duvall, it's, it's always so interesting to watch movies like this with these actors that maybe, you know, as older character actors uh, and seeing them as young men. And there's like a vibrancy and an energy to his performance and James Conn's as well, that maybe people uh, would not expect um, if they come to this later. Um, but the movie also does a really good job of like splitting up all these storylines and giving everyone their shine and their time. And that's, of course, it's a long movie, so you have the time to do it. But I think it would be really easy to only focus on Michael because it is it does end up being his story. But I think it gives enough to everybody here. Do you find um, something like Scarface, which is, you know, it's trash. I mean, it's bad. It's, it's yeah. mm-hmm. um even in the filmmakers, I, I think had to know that they were making uh, glorified trash. Um, it's got the De Palma, who that's his, you know, bread and butter. Um, do you feel any like this film with all of the acclaim uh, and box office success, award success, uh, verified classic number two, apparently on AFI's list? Uh, does it share any of the i guess responsibility for glorifying uh violence and like that sort of culture of you know tying masculinity to violence that's this is how to be a man because it's interesting michael comes from uh he's a veteran so he has done violence in the appropriate way and we don't see it but it's referenced uh but it's when he he turns to crime that you know he's Enough of the characters are saying they don't want this for him, but I feel like the audience here are pulling for it to to happen. Maybe it's when you get to the second one where you see how far he'll go that you're like, oh, wait a minute. But as I said at the start <laughs> of this, there's this protective quality, this this guy that's like, I've got to step up for my family because my father is being threatened. Um, but I just wonder uh, how conscious you think the filmmakers were of the time, mm. especially like you can speak as uh, with, you know, Italian American heritage. Yeah. I think there are some like, especially when the Sopranos came out that they were maybe uncomfortable with 
this continued, mm-hmm. like, if we're going to be in pop culture, we are criminals. Unf- right. <laughs> Fortunately or unfortunately, The Godfather and Sopranos are seen as, like, top of their respective fields. So it's right. like, at a certain right. point, you're like, well, as long as it's good, <laughs> it's okay. As long as it's a classic. But I just wonder from your perspective right. on that as far as these particular characters in this family. Right. Uh, so the first question you asked, like, does it hold any accountability or responsibility for that kind of romanticization of violence? And this is where I compare The Godfather to the David Fincher classic Fight Club. Okay. So, so yes and no. So I think this is a prime example of people taking the wrong lessons from a movie, right? Is that, like, they watch this, and honestly, if you watch this and you're like, yeah... James Kahn should kick the shit out of that domestic abuser. He, yeah, that's, that's exactly what we should do in this situation. And yeah, Michael should kill those guys. And we're going to, this is such a great way to handle things. Then I think you're not watching the same movie and you're not really paying attention. Like if you watch how the world around them reacts, like look at how everyone reacts to Sonny, right? No one wants to tell Sonny shit because they know he's going to fly off the handle and he's going to cause trouble for the family. Um, most of the people around don't want Michael to do this, but he's like, no, I'm going to do it. So they decide like, okay, we got to do it in a way where he's going to be the safest. He's going to do this anyway. He's going to fly up the handle. Let's keep him safe. And I, and then when you see, you know, Vito Corleone's reaction to all of this, that sorrow, that pain, did you guys not see that part? Like that's, that's, that's an important piece here is that, you know, this life is even with all of the things that it affords, right? They have this beautiful, nice house, this compound. They have everything that they would want. They have politicians in their pocket, but none of them are healthy. None of them are happy, right? Um, Sonny maybe is the only one who kind of thinks he's happy, but then watch what happens anytime any little thing goes wrong. He just, you know, I find that character so interesting because like, yeah, the line for him is he was beating up my sister, right? But you know from watching Sonny that he slaps women around all the time. Like, but it's like, no, no, that's my family. So now I'm going to kill you for this. So it's com- he's a completely hypocritical character, which I think makes him an interesting character. The whole idea of, you know, I remember when Sopranos, not when it first came out, you know, notable that this happened when it first got really popular. So about halfway through the first season, around the end of the first season, Italian communities, especially on the East Coast, started like, you know, calling for people not to watch this because like this is you know this is defamation you know look at what they're saying about us and and again this is a case of like did you watch it um because i don't think either the godfather or the sopranos is glorifying violence it's showing how useless it is and how damaged all these men are like i if you watch the sopranos and you think tony's just like yeah he's a stand-up guy seems like he's got it all together i'm like what are you just watching the greatest hits compilation of this movie? You're just watching the people that got whacked, or are you actually watching this man in therapy falling apart and dying before before our eyes? And I think you see that in this movie too. So I, as an Italian, never had an issue with these movies being like, "Well, this is painting us in a poor light." Like if you watch The Godfather and you think that all Italians are like this, I mean that's more on you than it is on me. Like this is a very specific subset. This is the Cosa Nostra. This is, you know, and all of that happened because of class distinction. The Cosa Nostra was started because people were so poor they had to turn to crime and end up being a part of organized crime so they could get away with it. So if like you want someone to blame, I don't blame Italians. 
I blame the the kind of class system that they had there and that we continue to have here. And you see a little bit of that in the movie with like kind of the anti-Italian versus anti-Irish stuff going on with the cops and all that stuff. So I never had an issue with it. So to me, it just becomes a case of like, watch the movie in its entirety and think about it and don't just watch watch it for the action sequences because if all you're act- all you're watching is people getting a garret wire to the to the neck and getting stabbed in the hand yeah i can see this being like overly violent but the movie like deals with this violence in a way that most movies of this ilk don't like there's a whole there's a whole bit of the story about like how no no we can't have drugs in our neighborhoods cuz look what that does to our neighborhoods there's a care that you don't see in something like Scarface. Scarface, I think, really dives into it. It's like, yeah, and now bring a fucking chainsaw into it and give <laughs> give Pacino a ridiculous accent. Like, let's really go in because it's the Palma. That's what he does. But this, like, I can't imagine doing a double feature of The Godfather and Scarface. One that would be like a seven hour day, uh, but also like these are very different movies about very different people. I like your version of Scarface where it's like a DLC pack in a video game. Like, oh, I bought the chainsaw, so now I can unlock it. Um, and yes, surrounded by, by – It's not that far off. By Coke and uh, yeah, just the final battle, you know, the the, the boss level stage and all of that. Um, uh, the other question I had as I was watching this, and this it, – it's – yet again, it's poor movie podcasting and I've even quoted some uh, reviews. I, I think in the Heights, uh, the one I used was, you know, they don't make them like this anymore. Uh, but I did legitimately wonder where are the movies like the Godfather and look, that's unfair because you mentioned, Hey, this is number two on AFI's list. So it's like, where are the second best movies of all time? And why aren't they coming out every other month? (laughs) But the ones that managed to have the pacing of something that's prestige, because this is, you know, three hours, uh, takes its time, but is wildly entertaining. And like fully puts you into a hyper specific world that I would think most in the general mm-hmm. audience have no um, actual experience with uh, organized crime, anything, especially anything of, to this extent, where it's the like the elite, like the it's like the five secret families that control everything in the city. What is what do you think is the most recent film that has straddled that line between? high art but also has that populist kind of beach reedy kind of bent because you, you mentioned the novel which i have no experience with but that seems to be a common refrain that it was like uh very entertaining where you know it took a crime subject but it, it was that was firmly from my take it seemed like genre fair and somehow godfather the film was elevated above that so i don't know if it's the most recent but the movie that immediately comes to mind is gangs in new york um, cause it certainly has that kind of populace, like this is fun. Mm. I mean, it opens with a giant fight sequence, right? With, you know, Liam Neeson and you know, Daniel Day Lewis. And, you know, I think that movie probably gets more flack than it deserves, um, for the Leo and the Cameron Diaz performances. Like, I, I don't think those are bad performances by any stretch, but people really have a negative reaction to it. It just became the DDL show. Um, but I think it definitely tries to straddle those lines. Uh, it, it, I mean, what does? It doesn't succeed in the way that The Godfather does. As you mentioned, the number two rated movie of all time. And I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes right now. And there's only – there's four reviews that are splats out of all the reviews of The Godfather. Um, and basically and no they're just all about, about – 
Like they, I feel like they should be. They should be, and most of them are relatively recent. I think the the oldest one is from 2012, and most of them are about like, oh well, it's just about power without accountability, and I don't like being in the mucky muck with these people. But the one that like I don't know made me almost have a stroke um, is that uh, Stanley Kaufman of the New Republic in 2015 wrote, "I don't see how any gifted actor could have done less than Brando does here." His resident power, his sheer innate force, has rarely seemed weaker. And I'm like, I'm stunned by this. Because, like, I think he does a lot considering, like, he's not an action hero in this. He doesn't move around a lot. Most of it is, like, he's either in a hospital bed or he's seated, right? Isn't he playing a weakened yes, state yes. here? Like, well, certainly a, after the attack, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's a man who is getting by on reputation at this point and that seems to be like the sharks are circling like they're waiting for that domino to fall and the whole dynamic within the family of you do not have an heir that can keep them accustomed right. to this lifestyle that can keep them protected and of course you know michael ends up being the one um that's stupid <laughs> uh, do you know what else is stupid <laughs> gangs of new york you got me excited because on the podcast directed by we do not include gangs of new york because i think I think I was directing us away from it because they never released like yeah. Scorsese. Only the cut. Weinstein, uh, only the like Me this, Too cut. That's, that's, that's all. <laughs> yes. Um, and even that cut has a 73%. Oh, so close. Yeah. It's funny that I'm now on a podcast where I'm rooting for <laughs> I hope, I hope for everyone hated reviews. it. Please, please. <laughs> yeah, I – the positive review I wanted to highlight uh, is very interesting to me because we live – I would I would say we live now in a new studio system. Um, it's very different from the studio system of the 60s and 70s, but that's essentially what we're at now. We have Netflix, Amazon, Disney, Warner Brothers, right? Pretty much everything that comes out is one of those, and they're very tightly contained and very rigid in the way that they produce movies. And this um, this from Alexander Walker of the London, London Evening Standard got me thinking about this. Says the Godfather shows that there is still life in the massive production engineering which made Hollywood studios the wonder of the entertainment world in their great days. And I was wondering, Mike, why do you think that the studio system we have now, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think it's producing movies like this um, that are stretching their abilities and going for the highest of the art form as well as being entertaining. It seems like we're stuck now in the like – IP, we want it to be entertaining. It's got to make a billion dollars or it's a failure. So what do we have to do? What do studios have to do to get to a place where they can produce stuff like this? Maybe not as high quality as The Godfather, the second best movie ever made, but like on that level, on that plane. Well, I I don't know what the studios can do now. I I feel like the expectation was that Netflix, um, they weren't going to give us The Godfather necessarily, but Netflix and streaming Mm. in general was freedom to – Give filmmakers the freedom, yes, to, to produce. And what has been the greatest streaming movie to come out in this era that has debuted straight to video on demand, Netflix, Hulu? I don't. I, I mean, it's safe to say there's nothing even in the country of The Godfather. Like, yeah, we're far off on an island somewhere. Uh, like, uh, there's one. You know, the um, uh, my co-host on Trilogy Theory, Webb. Uh, he he mentioned, I think on this podcast, uh, maybe for the woman in the window, a uh, run that was on Hulu that debuted as a little genre movie. I feel like that's right. what you're getting. You're getting these like, well, uh, a solid double, as we mentioned on Dream Horse that that episode. Like that's no one is swinging for the fences 
on on things and when I thought, okay, you're gonna you have smaller budgets. I mean, except for maybe Scorsese, right? Like, you know, whether you like or don't The Irishman. I mean, that was swinging for the fences. That was mm. trying for this kind of movie. So it's like it's only. It feels like only if you have director mm. cachet already, right? And Which, you're white because they didn't give Spike Lee any money. But you know, like Coppola did not have at this particular no. time. He was not Scorsese oh. from The Irishman. And yeah, I, I guess I was expecting younger filmmakers mm. uh, to, and it seems like you're right. Streaming is now just it's it's too expensive for a studio release. So we'll let Scorsese, we'll let you know Spike Lee get a chance to do this project that he can't do elsewhere. Although they didn't um, give Spike Lee the money for the de aging process that they gave that they gave Scorsese. <laughs> he asked for it, and they were like, "No, no." So you know, you also did that. We did that one time. You, we didn't win a Best Picture you, Oscar. You so got to be you got to be a great director and a white guy, and then you get all the money. That's why I mean, he's getting like three hundred million dollars or something for his next movie. The like the movie that's focusing on Native Americans. Uh, that he's with, making right uh, now. DiCaprio. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I look forward to that. I'm uh, Apple uh, TV plus subscriber. So yes, give me that content. But yeah, there's, there's not, um, you know, like, a, I, I think back to, uh, like the project green light era, which mm-hmm. is like, I actually just rewatched the one that came out like four or five years ago. Like, cause I know project green light, they, uh, they bring it back. It fails. Like they're like, God damn it! We another trash movie. Why is this not working? Because it seems to, unfortunately, prove the point that we let these outsiders, we give them some sort of freedom to tell their story, and then they produce junk, just like the, the studio system. Uh, and I don't think that's. I think they they kept expecting a wild success of this new like independent voice. Um, I I think that. Uh, it's it's uh, the seventies. It was like everything just fell apart as far as like the theatrical like system. Like mm-hmm. they they were coming off of TV, and there was all these all these different players into the field that put money into the game and said you can't make money at movies anymore. And so there was a desperation, and it was just like a point in time where I guess these particular voices came up. You had Scorsese, Coppola, uh, Spielberg. Uh, Polly Platt, as you've as you've mentioned uh, on this show, the real great um, director, yes, Polly Platt. Yeah, but I mean, and I, I, maybe I'm being unfair. Maybe I'm just, uh, you know, I, I'm old and I'm not searching out as much. I feel like we are. I feel like you and I are desperately searching for new anything. With that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've not. I I would like. I'm genuinely curious. So maybe I should put that out there on Twitter or something. Uh, what is the greatest sort of streaming movie of all time? Pure right. streaming play. Because uh, I don't think it would be The Irishman. I, I mean, I think that's a good pull as far as a big attempt. Right. But I don't think right. – so I don't know what that is. Yeah. And and I feel like in terms of the studio system, it's almost like we are the exact opposite of what it used to be when, um, you know, these big studios were running things before. Before, these big studios would take chances, right? I mean, you have this as a prime example, right? A relatively unproven director and we're going to let him do a three-and-a-half-hour-long epic – about the Cosa Nostra. Like that's that's crazy to me because now what we have, it's almost like in order to – you have to kind of do the impossible. You have to make a small movie that captures the imagination of people. Like you have like Moonlight, right? Barry Jenkins. So he did that. Um, and then what was the um, – uh, Beale, if Beale Street could talk, he did that. And now he's been scooped up by the studio system to do The Lion King 2. Um, so it's like, and that's, that's the system we have now. I mean, same thing, um, with, um, uh, with Chloe Zhao, 
right? She had the writer and she had Nomadland and now she's doing a Marvel movie. So it's almost like the creativity is going backwards. And I kind of wish it went the other way where it's like, okay, we get this new promising director. We're going to let them do this superhero movie and then they can make some money from that and then they can do whatever they want. So now it's just completely flipped and that's really depressing to watch because I think Barry Jenkins is a phenomenally talented director and I truly hope that he is just using Disney, that he's just like, okay, I'm going to get my big fucking payday. You know, because Lion King 2 will make a billion dollars, even if it's terrible, just like the first one. And now I, can, now I have the cachet to do whatever I want. And I really hope that's the case. And and I do have hope with him because he's now – he's doing more stuff. He's not just doing Disney movies. He just did the Underground Railroad um, kind of like 10-part series, and he's doing really challenging stuff. So I hope that continues. But I also know that it's really easy to get caught in that system and continue in that pipeline. You know, I mean, look at, uh, you know, Black Panther, Black Panther 2, like the director of that. I wonder if he's ever going to go back to doing something that isn't a part of that big system. And I really hope that he does because he's also wildly talented. I'm just like, please. Well, we talked you before want. about, uh, you know, the inability to create movie stars. Mm. Uh, also, the inability somehow of the system to create name recognition as far as uh the directors themselves. Yeah. Uh, unless, you know, as you said, you're attached to a Marvel property where it's like, Hey, we brought them back again. Or Sam Raimi's going to come into a Dr. Strange, you know, episode. I mean, that's what they are. It's just a new season yep. of, of this shit. Um, <laughs> I tried to look up like the best streaming movies. Of course, you're just going to get the, what's currently available. Sure. Like, not like, I, I want to know what is the best categorically. This premiered on streaming service. Uh, I did find one list because then I was like, okay, Netflix originals. Like, sure. What what is it? And Roma came up, I think, on mm. Metacritic. Um, but then I'm looking at Glamour.com, which has the list because even that one that uh, posited that was Roma uh, also had the Social Network as number two. I'm like, that's not. It's not a streaming not movie. A Netflix movie. No. It may be on Netflix currently. Uh, Glamour.com knows what's up. It has set it up as the fifth best Netflix mm. original of all time. Uh, and like the way you started this conversation, I would say uh, that's got to be fucking higher. That is probably the greatest that streaming has ever ever offered us is uh, set it up. Uh, it has like, I care a lot with Rosamund Pike huh. as number one. I mean, I like that more than I like Roma, but I think I'm in the minority there. That's <laughs> Roma was four on this list. Okay. So hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because... The, <laughs> the you, Irishman 8th. 8th. <laughs> I mean, you're right that, like, you know, the whole idea of these new-to-streaming movies was the whole idea that, like, hey, these are movies that, you know, didn't get made by these big studios, so maybe there's a chance to get something really impactful and really cool and really different. And that's not what has happened. It's actually, I feel like... It's gone much more genre heavy. Like obviously, like all the rom coms go to go to Netflix, but even like you know the kind of uh, I guess what we count as a horror movie, a movie like Hush, which went straight to Netflix, which is really good, and I would rate it as near the top of like you know best you know purely streaming movies. But like they haven't gone, and especially, and I wonder if that'll change because it used to be. You would have to release a movie in theaters, you know, for a while before you debuted it on streaming, even if Amazon created it. Um, like, what was the the Casey Affleck uh, uh, movie that he won the Oscar for? That was one that, like, okay, we got to... Oh, Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, Manchester. Yeah. We got to release that in theaters first, and then we can put it on our streaming service later. But I see that as a streaming movie, even though it's not, 
right? It was very clearly a theatrical release, but it was designed to be on Amazon Prime. Like, that's what it was designed for. And that's the type of movie I really hope we get moving forward, especially now that it seems like the restrictions are loosened a little bit as far as, like, what can be available for Oscars. Who knows how they'll change it now, now that the pandemic is over. Maybe now it'll go back to how it was, but I hope not, because I think there's a way to make really great films for streaming that maybe wouldn't get the theatrical push that a lot of these other movies would. But it seems like that's not what they've used it for at all. It's just I hope I hope in the promotion of this episode in the show notes that you put out there that you were claiming uh Kenneth Lonergan's no, scratch that, Casey Affleck's Manchester by the Sea is the closest we've come to the Godfather and I'm saying set it up is the closest we've come. To Look, if that doesn't Godfather. describe our podcast, I don't know what does. That is, that's it right there. You are, you are not wrong, but I do like set it up. It's really good. And I only watched it because you were like, Dave, you have to watch this. It's fucking incredible. And it's really it's good. It's been too long. It's really good. I had good. it on rotation that month. It came out and I was like, okay, I'm going to burn out of this. Like I need to, <laughs> it's like that favorite song. I'm like, okay, I need to force myself to, to lock this up, but it, it may be time. It may be time. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm sure like everything else, it was too highly rated for me to introduce it to our listeners. I did look up 71% Godfather part three. <laughs> Godfather part three. 68% with oh. a bullet is right. That's higher mm-hmm. than I expected, actually. That's... But not the newer version. The newer uh, version, I think, it was like in the 80s. But yes, the original doesn't count. Godfather 3. <laughs> yeah. Set it up. 92% Whoa! tomatoes. 68% from the audience. You fucks. Wow. Well, see, people don't know when the, when the second, not part two, but when the second coming of the Godfather comes around... They don't know how to handle it. They just don't understand <laughs> what's in front of them. I'm here to tell you. But not on this show because I'm not allowed. Dave, yeah. find uh, where AFI or Sight & Sound have set it up, please. Tell me yeah. which I will. Which uh, number in the teens is it currently because that's what my expectation is. I will uh, Photoshop that for you at some point because that certainly doesn't <sighs> that exist. so great. <laughs> <laughs> be like, set it up, Citizen Kane, the Godfather. That's, <laughs> that's where we're at. It'd be fair. Vertigo can be above. Oh, okay, set it up. okay. I'm not a monster, not an animal, but yes, <laughs> yes. Set it up is in the conversation. You know, and I find it interesting to watch this movie again in 2021 because I find myself, I always find myself wondering, okay, like how would people react if this movie came out now, right? Not 1972, but now, because like you know, not a lot, uh, not a lot for female characters to do in this movie. I would say maybe that's the only. What? Get slapped around, stay out of your man's business, don't right. ask too many questions. Right. That's kind of it. Don't you dare try to drive that car. Yes. You see what happens when you try to drive me. <laughs> and I would say, except for that character, all the female characters in here are kind of denigrated to the point where they just kind of freak out over stuff until the guy steps up and slaps her or tells her it's none of your business. Like, that's that's really the only female characters we have here. So this is a very masculine movie. So I definitely wouldn't... I wonder how this would change... If you made this now, because I don't, I'm not sure you could get away with it. Um, I mean, now. Sopranos did a close approximation to that. Sort of, I mean, you you certainly gave because it was a series, not a not, not a feature film. Um, you know, Twitter existed back then. Sopranos would have been on their top for Letterbox for season one, two, three, whatever. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think that with the Carmela character there, yeah, you certainly allow more screen time, and you allow and pretty much entire episodes can be based around uh, what's going on in her her particular headspace at that moment, yeah. but. She's still 
I, I would not say is uh yeah, it's an understatement. Not the best marriage to be yes, in. Yes, yes. that great. But even if you take her out, I mean you still got Lorraine Bracco. Um so you've got you've got at least a female presence there who is strong and, you know, willing to engage and isn't isn't freaking out even though she's in the presence of a multiple murderer. Like she still holds her own in those sequences. But you're right that TV shows give that time to breathe, right? Like you can you can have more. You're not just showing female characters when the situations are the most dramatic, right? Because it's not to say that these situations don't demand that type of freakout, right? I mean, yeah, you absolutely should be freaking out in that moment. But there's not enough time, even in a three-hour movie, to show the sequences where it's like, and now things are okay <laughs> right now. This. I love Divorce Dave saying, even with three hours, we got more stuff to do than focus on the, the women folk. We can't. We just can't be bothered. That's right. That's we meant go, for TV. Look, we got people to kill. We've got, you know, like, we've got hospital scenes with Vito Corleone to deal with. We don't have time for your, your women problems. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. I will throw myself under the bus. I don't need your help, Mike. Happy Father's Day indeed. This That's is, right. This is all about men. It's Father's Day. That's right. Dave, you got any more holes you want to dig there? Nope, I'm, I, think, I'm to... I think I'm at least six feet deep now, so I'm good. I'm good here. I've, got, I've already got the shovel out. You know, I'm ready to just pile on the dirt. Yep. That's right. Just... Uh, look, this is a tough one. I, 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 I kind of like the direction the conversation went because – what are we, you know, we're not savages. I think both of us have this like right. five stars was the best of its respective year. I would say when it comes to part two, that would not be my favorite. It's not even my favorite uh, Coppola what, film of that particular year. What came year. out that year? Um, uh, the Conversation came out that oh, year. Oh, yeah, that's better. It's a great movie. Imagine having um, a year where you put out mm, The Godfather 2 and you're like, yeah, second best movie I made this year. No big deal. Just <laughs> yeah, I think that probably tops uh, Soderbergh's uh, traffic and Aaron Brockovich uh, yes. combo. Yes, for sure. Yep. But uh, yeah, seven four also Chinatown. I believe. Oh, yeah, that would be my number one of that year. Yeah, go Chinatown. The conversation. Uh, so Godfather two, not even the second best movie of the year. Wow, that's, that's been the uh, that's a pretty good yeah. year. Um, yeah, I mean that's not even getting into. Uh, is this true? Do we have Young Frankenstein and Ooh. Blazing Saddles both came, both came out in '74? Wow, that's that's a that's a yeah, great Wilder comedy year. It's having yeah. a year too. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of uh, um, you know guys not they're shooting their shot. I mean, year. I might they're not believing in spreading it out. This sounds dramatic, but I might put Young Frankenstein above Godfather too in terms of best movies. That's my favorite comedy, my favorite comedy of all time. So I feel like that's mildly digging a small hole. It is. You're just you know, hey. you're getting comfortable. All right. Down there, it's, but... Now it's barely in the top five for that year. It's number four now. That's... Okay. <laughs> uh, what's next? Uh, the Towering Inferno. You, you got mm, something no. is that better than Godfather Two? No, 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 no. Godfather Two definitely better than that. Airport 1975 coming out in 1974. Interesting. Nope. Nope, still holding strong in that yeah, top five. Know. That's... Would you say Airport 1975 is the equivalent of Godfather 2 to the airport mythology? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Dave, that was an answer. In a the mo- fact a that, movie uh, I've never seen? Yeah. Sure. I was going to say, a question that you have never once considered in your life. You're like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Look, sure, Mike. Also, I, we should just do a whole podcast on 1974. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, A Woman Under the Influence also came out that year. Like, that's... 
that is a great year for movies. Like I am a fan of doing that. I've been enjoying. I did that on uh, let's see, ninety nine from ninety nine on mm-hmm. Sober Cinema. We're doing uh, the twenty five years for nineteen ninety six, which was a little bit more tongue in cheek because no one talks about the great year of nineteen ninety six. Uh, but yeah, it's just no joke. Seventy four is like one of those years, like uh, yeah. ninety nine. Oh, also, uh, I think was it nineteen thirty nine? It's also one yeah. of like the heralded years as well. Yeah. Also, the Parallax View came out that year. I mean, there's a, oh, love that a lot of really yeah. good movies. Hmm. I think I got room for one more podcast on my on my Tot app. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is that's what the the guiding principle is. Since once I run out of room, app. I'm done. I got nowhere else to take notes. That's it. <laughs> So you have listened to not what's coming up next, but maybe yet another feed you have to subscribe to. I don't know. You know, it's we don't know how long these opening weekends wasted. Maybe you know, we we may have to to make room for a, the secondary thing of the 1974. That's right. Uh, but isn't that's almost running into your territory now because it's just classic after classic after <laughs> right. classic. Right. So I'm sure I could find some trash. You know, like Airport 1975. I can attempt to come. I mean, to I'm looking right now. There's a movie called Groove Tube. I'm betting that that is not a classic i know nothing about it but that doesn't sound like a classic of any particular genre groove tube yeah the groove tube it's also an hour and 15 oh, minutes God. long so that's that's good too <laughs> the most stinging assault on television since it was invented says mm. playboy and also death wish came out that's uh you know i wouldn't call that a you know an afi top movie so there's some there's some trashy, fun options. Also, a great black exploitation movie called Truck Turner, which is really, really good. So, you know, we got a little bit of everything in 1974. Once again, just let's go back in time. Pissed. Let's go back in time, 1970s. People are pissed that we have a Godfather episode and we're like, yeah, there's a bunch of other stuff that came out in 74 two years later. Let's focus on that. And what's uh, what's Netflix been up to? Yeah. But that's what happens when you have a classic of the stature. What yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. That is the challenge. I, I mean, I almost didn't want to pick this movie because, like, what can you say about it hasn't been said? Like, yes, we both think it's great. Everything about it is pretty phenomenal. But there's more to talk about kind of ancillary to it than there is to like, well, let's really pick apart Marlon Brando's performance. And yeah, he had cotton balls in his mouth for this. Let's really like the stories have been told. Like we all anyone who is probably listening to a movie podcast knows that stuff. The stories of the interior life of any of the female characters don't deserve to be told, as Dave has. Oh, that's what Mike said says. On this episode. I have no comment on that at this point. <laughs> nope, nope. Happy Father's Day, everybody. 